Folks, let's turn to God's Word. We've heard it already in the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah. Uh, but we're going to Titus now, which is the passage we're working our way through. And this morning, uh, we are in Titus chapter 2. Uh, the first part of it is page 998 of the small print uh, and large print Bibles. It's 1272. So 998 of small print and large print 1272. Uh, we've been thinking about the, the church we are. It's 2020. Uh, by God's grace, when 2030 comes around, uh, we'll still be here. Uh, we'll still be worshiping. We'll still be evangelizing. Uh, that is certainly my hope. Uh, but over the next 10 years, what sort of church do we hope to be? What do we want to look like, even, even now, even today? Uh, well, I've wanted to preach Titus for a long time, uh, and it's a wonderful book, a short book, but a challenging book. Uh, and one that we're going to think about uh, over these next weeks. Uh, Paul has already written to Titus. He's in Crete, uh, an island that is full of individuals that you wouldn't want your daughter to bring home. Uh, Titus, he wants to, to preach faithful, the faithful word, to increase the word and the truth in the lives of the people, growing them up in godliness. And in every local church, in every place where there is a fellowship, as we heard last week, Titus was to put elders in place, uh, elders, spiritual leaders who would ensure that sound doctrine is preached in these fellowships. So today as we get into Titus chapter 2, we see uh, the result of sound doctrine. It's not just so you can boast at uh, table quizzes that you know lots of stuff from the Bible. There's an importance and, a, and a, a responsibility when we learn things and hear sound doctrine that has an impact in our lives. And we see that here in the lives of this church. So we read this together. This is God's word, and we're thankful for it. Titus 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Amen. And we thank God for his precious word. For most of us in our Christian walk, there are places that are incredibly special. Places that we will remember for all our days as, as being a, a place where we heard something of the Lord that we didn't know before. Maybe it's a place that we were saved in, a place that we, we met our wife or husband, a place where our children were baptized, a, a place where our granny grew up and, and first prayed a prayer of faith. Places like that are special to every one of us. And for me, 
Well, I take my wee heart and I go to the other side of Belfast, up to the top of the Shankill Road to an estate called Glencairn. I don't know if you've been to Glencairn. There's just houses really in it. Uh, not much going on in it. It's a largely loyalist uh, Protestant estate. A long time ago, I spent a few months in Glencairn uh, with the city missioner there, a, play, a man called Geordie Lunn, uh, a faithful man, a man who loved the Lord, who preached the gospel, who rapped on every door in that estate and told everybody their need of Christ. And that place to this day is a place that I remember fondly. I can't remember names and probably faces. If I bumped into somebody today, I, I probably long forgotten who those individuals are. But I remember nights in Glencairn with just a handful of us and a young boy like me preaching and, and learning how to do it. And individuals in the back row, whenever I said anything remotely good, would shout, Amen! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! That stunned me. Because as you know, as Presbyterians, we don't say any of those things. If Presbyterians, we were to shout anything out, it would be, I'm not happy! Or something like that. But up in that wee mission hall, Amen! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! And that would come throughout your sermons, whether you'd said something good or not, it seemed to come from the back. And, and initially you were challenged by it, you were nearly falling out of the pulpit, it took you by so much surprise, but then you got used to it. And it encouraged you, and you, you preached longer. That's why you don't say it, because you preach longer. You get all excited. And then in the nights that we would gather to pray, there'd be these wee women, these wee uh, shankle rude, proddy women, loved the twelfth, but they loved the Lord more. And there they were up at the front, and they were praying to the Lord as if they had seen him this afternoon in their house. I remember one wee woman praying, Lord, you know, I told you this earlier on, and I know you listened to me then, Lord, but I just want to tell you again because I'm worried about it, Lord, and, and I thank you for being with her. She prayed as if the Lord was her best friend. Often I struggle to pray like that. You do as well. Maybe we go through the motions and, and we say the same things that we always say in our prayers, but... Do you know what? That hall in Glencairn, not very glamorous. Not many people in it. Probably not a place you would be looking to buy a house. But a wonderful place. A special place and a place that I will never forget for those few weeks back in about, what, 2005? Folks, I start there today because in that wee hall, I discovered something about what the church is. It doesn't have to be glamorous doesn't have to be all bells and whistles. It doesn't have to cater to your every need. It doesn't have to play the songs that you like and none others. It, it just has to be where the people of God gather and they love the Lord and then they love each other. That's what this passage here is about. And as we consider what our church is and what it hopefully will be over this next 10 years, and as we look at this challenging passage, well, I pray that the Lord would take it and make us exactly this. And it all begins once more with two words, which often are words that we don't like. But in verse 1 we read, as for you, that's Paul speaking to Titus, as for you, teach with what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. There's those two words, sound doctrine. And ask yourself, are those words that you like, is that something that you long for? Is that something you woke up this morning, you climbed out of your onesie and into your suit and you said, oh, I can't wait for a good dose of sound doctrine this morning? Probably not. Probably not. But if we are to be this 
renewed and restored and reformed church, then it must always begin with sound doctrine. What is that? It sounds fancy. Nothing fancy at all. It's just what we believe about Jesus. And if our church is to be transformed, if we are to be transformed as individuals in it, then we must have this love for sound doctrine. Paul has already said that in his introduction uh, to this letter. He tells Titus exactly that. He, he wants him to, to preach. Paul is a man who, who lives and works for the sake of the faith of God's elect, for their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. This is what his letter is about. Titus, this is what I'm about, and this is what you are to be about. And that's what makes elders so important, as we heard last week. The church is to have spiritual leaders, spiritual elders who listen to every single sermon, who are aware of what is being taught in the church, who love the Lord and who love the Word. So that if the preacher ever goes astray, this place will be filled with elders who can say, Scott, what you said this morning was not true. Because sound doctrine, sound teaching, is vitally important to your Christian health. You maybe didn't know that before, maybe you don't believe that even now, but it is true. Sound doctrine, sound teaching is vitally important to your Christian health. It's like the fact that you wake up and every morning, and you have done this for the past 78 years, but every morning you drink a bottle of cod liver oil. Because that's good for you, isn't it? Your granny told you that, your mother told you that, you get it into you. Your own knee's still sore, but you do it anyway. It's, it's vital for your health. Well, friends, in a very real way, the Word of God, properly preached, properly taught, sound doctrine poured into your life is of vital importance to your Christian health. We preach, I hope, what accords with sound doctrine in this church. I've been here almost 12 years, and I hope, I trust, I pray that there's never been a sermon where error and heresy has preached. If that is the case, may the Lord forgive me. If that is the case, then may the Lord shut your ears to whatever falsehood it was. But I pray indeed that every time I've opened this book, I've told you truthfully what it says. As for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach the men and women in Eden Grove about Christ. Teach the men and women in this church about our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them about how Christ's sacrifice at Calvary was enough. It was a, a satisfactory sacrifice. He is our prophet, our priest, our king. He is our substitute who died a sinner's death in our place. Teach them about how Christ's resurrection from the dead means that we are guaranteed through faith in him to stand in the resurrection to come. Teach them about that resurrection to come. Teach them about a day that is on its way where Christ returns. All will stand before him and we will hear the judgment of our Lord. Teach them about that day. Call upon them, Titus. Call upon them, Scott, to understand that the days are short and tell them that if they do not know Jesus, then they need to know Jesus and they must be saved. As for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. My brothers and sisters, as sound doctrine, I hope, remains a staple of what comes out of this pulpit Sunday morning, Sunday night, and throughout the course of the week and the various studies and other bits and pieces we have in this church, as sound doctrine remains a constant in our fellowship from now to 2030, and by God's grace, far beyond that, it is for your good. It is for your good. Friends, today, every word that is preached is for your good. Preaching is a means of grace. 
I'm preaching the word of God. I'm preaching sound doctrine is the means by which the Lord is going to grow you up in the faith. And that's where these next verses come in. You see from verse 1 or verse 2 uh, down to verse 10, Paul exhorts the men and women of the church in Crete. He tells them what they are to be. And friends, the reality about these verses is that they are not the gospel. I don't want any of you going home and saying, well, Scott says I'm an older man and therefore I must be sober-minded. I'm really going to work hard at that this week. I'm an older woman, so I, I need to stop the gossip or I need to give up the wine. That's what it says. That's how I'm going to be saved. No, that's not it. If you think that, you've got this passage wrong. These verses are not the gospel. But they come in response to the gospel as it has an impact in your life. Today, if you know Christ as your Savior, then you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is sound doctrine. Today, if you are saved, then that means that in eternity past, the Lord decreed that you would be saved. Christ died for you at Calvary, and the Spirit called you to repentance and faith. I hope that that's sound doctrine. That's how you're saved. But this sound doctrine in you, this understanding and believing of the gospel, well, it means that you will have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that sound doctrine, and you are to grow in that faith. An older man, therefore, says Paul to Titus, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Here is the challenge for older men in our congregation, believing older men in our congregation. Who are the older men in our congregation? There's a new rule as of today that will be in place for as long as I'm your minister. Older men are anyone that are older than Scott. That's the rule. Older men, anyone older than me. You're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. You're to be sober-minded, clear-headed about your faith. You're to be dignified, not causing rows and, and, and trouble, but dignified in all your ways, handling everything with grace and, and a, a mind of the Savior, self-controlled, so not one of these old lads that's chasing young women down the town, but self-controlled of your passions and desires. And men who are sound in faith, you love the Lord. Men who are sound in love, you love the fellowship. And men who are sound in steadfastness, that no matter what you persevere and you continue on. Those of you who are older men, and let's be honest, I'm getting there with you. Here is our challenge, and here is our standard. Here is how we are to live in response to the gospel in Eden Grove Presbyterian Church. And older women, in verse 3, are told, likewise, they are to be reverent in behavior. They are not to be slanderers or slaves to too much wine. So older women are to carry themselves with the grace of God in their lives. They are to be reverent in their behavior. They're not slanderers, so they're not gossips. They're not down in B&M putting the world to rights. They're not on the phone on the way home telling everybody what's happened at church that day and whispering about this one or that one. They're not slanderers. And when they get home, if they like a wee glass of wine, then they're not slaves to it. They're not to be drunkards. That goes for men too, and Paul will say that elsewhere. Here is the standard for the older women in our church. And these are heavy standards, my brothers and sisters. You will read them and you will know them. And if you're like me, then you will work your way through them and you will think to yourself, boys, oh, I have a lot of work to do. 
have a lot of work to do. And if you feel like that, then probably, yes, you do have a lot of work to do, like me. But thanks be to God, because sound doctrine says we do not do this on our own. What we call sanctification is how the Holy Spirit works in us and grows us up in the faith. This verse is not given to older men to get on with it, and the Lord stands and watches and waits for you to trip up. He equips us with the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ordinary means of grace, and he helps us as older men and older women to grow in likeness to his word. Older men and older women have the challenge laid before them. But what I love about this chapter is that it extends to all generations in the church. The church is always intergenerational. If your church always divides up and and puts people into wee groups, young ones, older ones, even older men, women, then we're doing it wrong. Because here we see that the older men and the older women are to have an impact on the generations coming behind them. Firstly, the older women are told at the end of verse 3 that they are to teach what is good. Women are to be teachers. And and primarily, verse 4 says, they are to train up the young women. So the older women and the young women are to be together. They are to talk. They are to minister to one another. Older women are to take younger women under their wing and to, to teach them and equip them and to pass on the gospel baton to the next generation. They are to mentor the future women in the church. They are to mentor the little girls in our fellowship from the cradle all the way up. What a challenge that is. I don't think we do that very well. I don't think we make enough time to to be together, not meeting to do business. All I seem to do is meet to do business. We meet to talk and there's agendas and there's minutes and all sorts, but, but just to meet and as young women meeting with older women, we, we talk about life, we talk about our families, we talk about what troubles us, what concerns us, we build one another up. And in the same way, older men and younger men, we mentor one another. The older women are to, to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. If they're married, if, if they've been called to that life, then the older women who are married are to teach the younger women what marriage is all about. Because if you haven't realized it, folks, for those of you who are married, It is wild hard sometimes. It's really difficult. At times, being a husband and being a wife and being a father or being a mother is is a joy. But at times, you know, if you started slapping your kids, you probably wouldn't stop until Easter. We need help. It's not easy to be married in this day and age. It's not easy to stay on the straight and narrow. And so Paul says, Titus, teach the older women to to teach the younger women to pass on about the pitfalls of life and marriage so that they're well prepared to be, as verse 5 says, self-controlled and pure and working at home. You hear that, gents? That's about your favorite verse today. Many of you are going to fight and argue over lunch about that. You're going to say, here, Scott said, Scott said, get to the kitchen, you, but that's not what Paul means. The beauty of this passage is it ties in with what Paul has said elsewhere. And Christian marriage, as it works out in this world, well, it it shows us what the church should be like. Paul says this about marriage in Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, that each one of you, gentlemen, 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here is marriage. And I cannot speak for my dear wife today. I'm sure she was up here. She would tell you what a wonderful husband I am. But she'd only be saying that. Because there's many a day, if wonderful husband are two words, you would only apply one of them to me, and that would be husband. Days where I'm a grumpy eye slobber, and days where I can't be bothered. And days where the sofa is my best friend, and days where I am sure it is not easy for my wife to respect her husband. And yet as our fellowship is to grow and be reformed, and to make sure that it gets to 2030 and 2040 and 2050. Well, older women especially are to teach younger women how marriage all works and what it's about and to help them walk along the way. Friends, these are not easy things. And if the gentlemen think that we are to get it easy, well, absolutely not, because we are to urge the younger men in verse 6 to be self-controlled. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. I was thinking about that verse just yesterday as I was wrapping up what I was going to say and the news came through uh, of a young footballer uh, and it struck me because I, I remember his father playing, that's how old I am, but a young footballer was out for a night out, only 25 years old and it seems that somebody beat him up, punched him, fractured his skull and he died there in a street in a wee village in England. 25 years old. And that's a story that is repeated from up and down this land. Not that I'm out in Belfast ever anymore, but back in the day, as a young Christian, still sort of with a foot in both camps, it always amazed me how it was that, that I always seemed to get the dig in the head. I thought, I wonder what that's for. I wonder if it's because I'm a believer. I wonder if I should be wise enough to maybe just pull myself out of this world. And then my, my wife can hit me the dig. But it's not life as a young man at times. We have to be big and bold and strong. We have to be better than the other guy. If someone challenges us, then we have to show our superiority. If someone tackles us badly on the football pitch, then we're going to get him afterwards in the car park. The old man is still evident in us all, gentlemen. And so older men, older and wiser men, are to teach the younger men to be self-controlled. You don't need to win every fight. You don't need to win every battle. You don't need to be out in the town with your mates every weekend like the old days. Older men and older women mentoring the next generation and encouraging them to grow in the faith. Do we do this? Do we do this in the church? Do we learn from one another? Are all your friends the same age as you? Is your best day when you get to play bowls with all your mates who are also over 80? Or do you deliberately, on a Sunday, seek out the older men, the younger women, the older women, the younger men? Do you seek them out? Do you talk to them? Do you build them up? Do you encourage them? See, folks, this wee gathering of ours is not just for the sake of it. This is the place where sound doctrine is taught and this is the place where the word of God falls into your heart and this is the place where the spirit says you need to listen. You need to listen and see that girl who you don't know her name? Go and speak to her. See that fellow that you're not talking to? Well, 
Well, go and talk to him. Encourage him. Life is hard. Marriage is hard. The Christian walk is difficult, so you've got each other. An intergenerational church. It doesn't have to be bells and whistles, all glamorous and, and a name on lights above the door, but where the church is gathered, where the people of God are together, well, there's an opportunity to minister and to help each other as we walk through this life. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, a responsibility to one another within the walls of this church and beyond. See, Paul also speaks to Titus. And in this case, Paul speaks to me because I'm the Titus of this church. I'm the, the pastor of this church. And Paul says to Titus, show yourself in verse 7 in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. I'm never good at verses like this. I'm never good at preaching verses like this that, that speak directly to me because as I read these verses, I fall short basically in every word. But my brothers and sisters, as I said last week, generally for the elders here, so I say this week, for myself, as I have constantly failed to be the minister of verse 7 and 8 in this passage, then I beg your forgiveness I beg your prayers, I beg your support, and I pray indeed that over these next 10 years, the Spirit working in my life would make me the minister of Titus 2, verses 7 to 8. That is my prayer. And I don't just preach this because it's so much easier to say what I've just said than, oh, 7 and 8, I do that every week, and you're so thank you should be so thankful of, of how wonderful I am. But I could never say that. This word exposes us as older men and women and as younger men and women and as, as pastors. This word exposes us. It says, you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have been saved by this glorious gospel. The Spirit is at work in you. Do you look like this? I fall short. As I suspect every one of us in this church in a passage like this falls short. But that is not an excuse to take our seats and to say, I'm going to stop trying. May I be this pastor, and may you be the older men, women, younger men and women outlined for us in Titus 2. And you see, folks, it doesn't matter of what level you're at. These aren't passages written just to the great and the good. Because Paul finishes with Titus by saying in verse 9 that, that even bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Here Paul speaks to the men and women of his day who were still in slavery. Men and women who still had a master, maybe even in the same fellowship. Men and women who, who throughout the course of the week were working in, in vineyards and farms and, and shops and places doing the dirty work and looking for the day that they would get their earthly freedom. And Paul later in the New Testament, in the very next book, will, will speak directly to slavery, but here he just urges those who are in slavery to submit to their master. Not to start trouble, but to please their master. Not argumentative, not causing rows, not pilfering, not stealing, 
but showing all good faith. Here is the challenge to the worker, to the slave. And in our context here in Northern Ireland, every one of us probably will wake up in the morning and, and go to work. How are we to be Christians and work? Like this. The next time you're at the water cooler and a row is starting about the boss and he's a clampet and nobody likes him anyway, may verse 9 rest heavy upon you. The next time you're in work and it's handy just to take home one of those reams of A4 paper. You think, seriously, Scott, A4 paper, is that a big deal? It is if it isn't yours. Next time you're tempted, we're not to be pilfering. We're not to be men and women who, who are troublesome to our masters, to our bosses. But instead, as we take this passage on board, I think a wonderful verse comes at the end of verse 10 where Paul says, these bond servants, and indeed I think everybody in this passage, every single one of them showing all good faith so that in everything you and me, Eden Grove, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. See that? Back to doctrine. What is the doctrine of God our Savior? The doctrine of God our Savior is nothing more and nothing less than the gospel. That Christ died for sinners, that Christ came and took on flesh to seek and to serve that which was lost. To remind you of what I was saying to the kids, Jesus died for us before we knew his name. He, he loved us even before we loved him. He didn't send us a letter, he sent himself. Here is the doctrine, the doctrine of God our Savior. And by our lives, in response to this gospel, by our lives, inside and outside this church, we adorn that glorious gospel. We show the world that it isn't just words on a bit of paper. We show the world that it isn't just signing your name on a wee card to say you're a Christian. But we show the world that it is the Lord himself who has redeemed us from the pit, who has equipped us with the Holy Spirit, and who sets us out on this life to love and care for one another. You see, as we gather here Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, it is so easy to go through the routine. Probably you sit in the same spot every week. I'm not criticizing you. I sit in the same spot every week, right there. Never change. Probably you come and you talk to the same people every week. You come and you go up and somebody says tea or coffee and you always have coffee. You never even change that every week. But friends, as we think how this works out in our church over these next years, I want you to realize something. And you may not believe this about yourself. You might think, Scott, I could walk in and out of here and nobody would care. But I don't think that's true. Your life, your life has an impact on others in this community of ours. Your prayers have an impact on others in this community. Your actions have an impact on others in this community. They can be actions of encouragement and love and mentoring. Or your face can always be tripping you. Full of gossip and slander. Your actions have an impact on others in this community. Your experience has an impact on others in this community. 
You have much to say to, to younger mothers struggling to keep their head above the water. You have much to say, gentlemen, to the younger men who, who are falling into the same traps as you. Your experience has an impact on others in this community. Your words have an impact on others in this community. They can be words to build or words to tear down. Your words, your words have an impact on others in this community. And your presence has an impact on others in this community. It's easy to opt out, to say, I'm done with that place. Sure, it'd be best just staying at home. Your presence, you as a redeemed child of God, with all your life, all your experiences, all the stuff you've been through, good and bad, you, you have an impact on others in this community. Brothers and sisters, I send you away home with us today, and I pray you'll think about it and pray about it. Like I say, this is not an easy passage for me or for you. But simply put, and maybe I should have just said this 25 minutes ago, you could be eating your sandwich by now. Simply put, maybe respond to this with lives that adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Amen? And may this be so.